0: Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 79 and on today's episode we talk about hydrogen and I'm reminded of phrases that my parents used to use, my mother used to talk about without the extremes and the people on the extremes we don't move the middle and so there's a lot of uh, excitement and people trying to do extreme things with hydrogen And on the flip side, my father used to say, well, what have you done for me lately? Which means, you know, are you actually doing anything? And I think that's where the hydrogen space is. um, And I think our guest can talk very well about that. Uh, But before we welcome our guest, I will welcome my executive producer and co-host, Lisa Katz. Welcome.
1: Hello, Matt. How are you today?
0: Couldn't be better. And you?
1: I'm great. Same here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so we have uh, two exciting guests that uh, are joining us today from Enbridge Gas Inc. Uh, welcome Sam McDermott and Cliff Crawford to Energy Radio. How are you guys today? Good. Thanks for having us. Doing very you well. Are, you are most welcome, you are most welcome. And So we, we normally start the show off, uh, Sam and Cliff, by getting a bit of a background, you know, how you sort of joined Enbridge or got into the energy space. Uh, maybe Sam, we can start with you. Can you, first of all, uh, introduce your your role, your current role at Enbridge, and then maybe you can kind of, uh, you know, go backwards and go back as far as you like to give us ah an understanding of how you how you got here.
2: Absolutely. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to just acknowledge something Matt said. I think your dad was listening to a lot of Janet Jackson, and I really like that.
0: Um, <laughs> I um, can tell you, I can tell you categorically, he was not. Uh, <laughs> but,
2: but, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, so about myself, Sam McDermott, I am a mechanical engineer by training, and currently I am the technical manager for renewable hydrogen here at Enbridge Gas in Toronto. Um, My background is I'm a mechanical engineer by training, and um, my undergrad is from the former Ryerson University. And I went on to do a master's in um, advanced design and manufacturing from the University of Toronto afterwards. I spent 12 years in manufacturing, working for a design house to start, then I went into automotive, then I went into water treatment, and then that took me to Embridge afterwards where I've spent the last 16 plus years in, um, in energy. So I started off by building large pipelines for the company, like 36-inch, that kind of thing, 42-inch. 40, and then moved on to contracts management uh, where I managed the contractors that do all the day-to-day work for the company. And then that evolved into um, uh, a larger project where we reinforced the entire greater Toronto area. I was a construction manager for that. And then after that, I moved into... Um, large volume customer management. And that was an exciting role, took me to places I didn't know existed, place in Ottawa where I managed. Uh, There's some beautiful places out in Ottawa. And then um, I was asked after that to work on the development of the hydrogen file for gas distribution. And that's where I have been hanging out for the last close to seven years.
1: That's great, and I guess when I started to introduce you, Sam, I should have said welcome back to Energy Radio. I just realized because you have been on Energy Radio in our in the past, have you not? I have. Okay, well, wel- awesome. welcome back. It's uh, it's glad to have you back on the show. Our, uh, nice our, to have you back listen- on the
0: show. Our listeners love our repeat guests, so this is great.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're just we're here to talk but something i mean it's kind of on the same lines but you know a little different which is which is cool um so thank you very much sam and and cliff crawford we have not had you on the show Uh, i don't know if this is your first time you've been on a podcast uh so welcome and maybe you can give us a bit of a background on your uh current role at enbridge and how you got into the space
3: sure yeah thanks uh thanks for having me um so yeah cliff crawford i uh I'm currently uh, hold the title of hydrogen specialist here at Enbridge, um, and basically what that is, is 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 anything to do with with hydrogen projects, from operation, maintenance, design, um, regulatory stuff. Uh, I help out with on on that side of things. And and how I came to be here is is I've actually. Only worked for Enbridge for for under a year now, but I've worked with Enbridge for several years now on on other uh, joint venture projects, hydrogen initiatives uh, in the past and throughout the years. So, um, you know, before before joining Enbridge, I worked with one of their partner companies that manufacture and and operate uh, fuel cells and electrolyzers, and and that's how I uh, kind of grew uh, the relationship with Enbridge and eventually became a team member. Um, you know, I, I worked at, uh, at Cummins, which was acquired by Hydrogenics, mm. and uh, be, before that, um, I spent uh, a little over a decade in the oil and gas industry, but uh, kind of seen the writing on the wall, uh, you know, that the world was going to need to transition our energy needs from, you know, the carbon-based fuels and, and got interested uh, in, in hydrogen technology and, uh, and was, you know, fortunate enough to, to make the leap into, uh, into that world. Um, several years ago before I joined Enbridge, so.
1: Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Cliff, for that. Uh, and, and that might lead us actually into uh, one of our first questions of the podcast quite nicely. And I'm just going to say it just as we've sort of, uh, you know, uh, put here in our uh, little question list that we had for you guys. You know, let's talk about hydrogen and what's the big deal. Like, what is the big deal about hydrogen? Like, you guys are in the space and what's going on and what, what uh, you know, what do you think is happening and, and where's the uh, the future of hydrogen going?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I know where you're going with this. You're thinking the smallest molecule, what's the big deal? Well, it's <laughs> a, it, is, it is a big deal. Um, hydrogen, if you look at a lot of the publication that you see out there right now, and almost every day something comes out on hydrogen. And the prediction is that hydrogen. If you look at the hydrogen council as an example, they are predicting that it can replace up to fifteen percent of the world's energy with clean sources. But if we come closer to home, if you look at hydrogen and let's let's break it, let's even drill down and renewable hydrogen or low carbon hydrogen, this can play a huge role in Ontario. In, as the as the province tries to shift to a lower carbon um, system. And the other thing to this is what's really exciting is that this can be a made-in-Ontario energy solution. And what it does is it utilizes existing infrastructure, like it complements the wind and the solar, and it complements the electrical grid, and it ties it to the y- to the pipeline. So it ties pipeline to wires. You can do a large-scale storage with it. In, it enables, it complements... The grid at both both grids, and it's um it's a plus for the ratepayers and the con- the consumers as a whole. We call them ratepayers here at Enbridge, but it's the same thing.
1: no that's that's great. Thank you so much, sam.
0: i want to I want to unpack um, kind of some of the the challenges of it. But first, before we do that, I think you know this is I made the comment about what have you done for me lately? Um, And to be clear, you know, big Janet Jackson fan, but my father was a bit more conservative in his uh, in his listening uh, choices uh, back then. But anyways, um, you know, the what have you done for me lately is, is a question that Enbridge can answer uh, and is doing it. So so maybe before we get into some of the challenges, let's talk about, you know, what you folks are doing uh, in Markham literally uh, today with respect to injecting or, or making hydrogen and, and, and what you're doing with it. And let's unpack that project a bit before we go further.
2: Cliff, well, if you want to take a run at this. Sure.
3: Well, I, I mean, we're already uh, utilizing hydrogen in Markham. Um, we, for one, have on-site generation in Markham. We have a power-to-gas facility that uh, has been in operation since 2018, um, producing hydrogen through electrolysis on-site, and we're utilizing that hydrogen in by means of blending with natural gas and injecting into the Enbridge pipeline system. Um, Currently, this is a a pilot project, Um, we're blending 2% hydrogen with uh, natural gas balance and currently um, about 3,600 homes are receiving this blended gas in this uh, isolated network in in this pilot project and um, and yeah, uh, it's been in operation since for almost a year now, since October of uh, 2021, and uh, it's been it's been great so far. Yeah, we're you like say we're we're actively blending and uh, and hopefully uh, we'll continue to to grow and and scale projects like this up from here.
0: Cliff, a follow-up question as it relates to the blending, you know, is there I would imagine there's a there's a follow up process or there's a data collection exercise with respect to the blend and its impact on the distribution system, um, you know, and and its impact on the appliances and on the consumers. Is that something you can tell us about even anecdotally in terms of how that's going? Has there been challenges? Is it working well? That kind of thing.
3: Well, really, at this point, in, in this project we've we've picked numbers that aren't going to have an impact when it comes to end users. Uh, the, the first part of this project is is really just proving the fact that this this station and this technology can function and work correctly. But at a at a volumetric ratio that the the people in this network are not going to be affected, or or it's going to be great enough for for any particular person to see, or there to, or there to even be any challenges that are going to be associated with it at this point. But once we once we have some time and some data under our belt that we're collecting over the last little while, this is where um, you know we plan on eventually being able to scale up these percentages and and scale up these networks, and that's where where those particular um, scenarios may become more more relevant where right now um at this early stage of these projects they're they're not really an issue
1: Hmm. and and cliff can you comment on like like at what point does that actually become an issue like based on the blend percentage is is because presumably there's you know some mechanical you know part to that but but also as matt was saying like the appliances part is it is there a certain percentage in terms of that hydrogen that gets injected that, that it does become or could become problematic?
3: Well, and, and there's a lot of variables there, right? Um, it, it, especially if you're just talking residential or commercial or industrial. Right. But, you know, you, you you could go back and look at studies that, you know you know, a lot of standard gas appliances can handle upwards to... blend without really being affected uh, negatively, but other appliances may have a a higher threshold or a lower threshold and all those things. Definitely. Um, when, when you get to a point where you want to choose a new number, if we, if we get from the 2%, we want to go to the five or the 10%, all, all of those factors need to be reviewed and, uh, and and make sure that there, there isn't going to be any effects, but that's one of the the challenges with the, the hydrogen, um, with with the hydrogen sort of transition and and the energy transition is that when it comes to regulatory when it comes to at what point does a natural gas system um, also become a hydro not all of those things are fully written in stone yet right so as as regulations around hydrogen and and gas system and, and the blending of which start to start to change and develop those could come into play down the road. But right now, all of those things are, are things that are kind of happening in the background um, simultaneously while these pro- pilot projects are taking places is, is developing those standards at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I had a conversation, this is going back about a year ago now with the Edmonton Hydrogen Hub. And I guess there's that there's that hydrogen line that's in close proximity to, I guess, an abandoned natural gas Uh, pipeline that could serve a big part of Edmonton. And so the Edmonton Hydrogen Hub, from what I recall, was trying to work with government to see if they could I guess, make some modifications. What those modifications entailed, I can't quite recall, but it was to make some modifications so that distribution network could accept literally 100% hydrogen in that pipeline. And then whether it was appliances or CHP systems or other types of equipment, uh, you know, would be able to accept that and uh, and run that. So that was that was pretty exciting when I heard about that. Again, that's going back, back about a year ago now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Is the one one last question, maybe before we move on off the the electrolysis system. Are you experimenting or uh, I don't want to phrase it that way, because that sounds like it's a science experiment. It's well-developed technology. But are you working through opportunities to leverage the electrical side of um, that project in terms of how you can provide some ancillary services or benefit to the local grid?
3: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, um, When when the power-to-gas facility was first commissioned um, back in 2018, uh, there was a three-year agreement with the IESO to provide um, grid balancing services, and that that contract is currently completed uh, at this point. But uh, quite successfully, that power-to-gas plant and and the electrolyzer provided uh, grid balancing ancillary service to the IESO for three years, and uh, the... um, I would say that the the project was a success, for sure. Um, not currently renewed, but uh, that that plant successfully provided service to the ISO for the first three years. And uh, I believe that's a, that's a technology that, you know, isn't going to go away and is only going to be explored further uh, with the ISO and, and, and other electricity grid operators.
0: Yeah, and that, I know Lisa's itching to get to uh, to the next thing on the agenda, but I just, I'm struck by how you know this is a great case study of why something like hydrogen is is so important because it provides that intersection point uh, between you know the molecules side of our energy systems and the uh, electrons side of that same you know of of the of the energy um, and, and as we transition Uh, over the next how many years we've got to make more of those connections not less right and I don't know if either of you now I'm just waxing philosophically and interested you know if you guys have a thought but that's just I, I think that story can be cannot cannot be told too much like I think the more we draw out all of those you know cross energy system benefits I think the better I don't know if you're seeing other benefits or you're able to tell that story or what you guys think about that but I think that's
3: important. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the more diverse our our energy infrastructure is, the better off everyone will be, for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I would add to that by, if we go back to the great power outage we had, uh, I think it's somewhere in the early 2000s, um, when the electrical grid on the eastern seaboard was completely down. Um i think it's a reminder of what can happen if you rely on exactly one technology we here at Embridge believe that choice is important and we believe that there are multiple solutions to get to where we need to go which is we're all trying to get to the 1.5 degree celsius mark set by the paris accord and We firmly believe that it's not just going to be one technology that gets you there. It's going to be a host of technologies, some of which haven't even been conceived as yet. So that's how we see it. And we believe that we are well positioned. We have a role to play in that as well.
1: Matt, you read my body language perfectly, because you know that I was itching to get to the big news. <laughs> so, Sam or Cliff, uh, obviously, you know, we, we know about this because we're working with you on this project, but you guys are in the process of installing uh, what I believe is North America's first 100% hydrogen-capable CHP system. Can you talk to us a little bit about the project and maybe you know, perhaps on a broader level, um you know what the role of hydrogen from your vantage point in the north uh, is in, in the North American energy transition, and how Enbridge expects to take a role or get involved,
2: yeah. so we're extremely excited about this project. it it's it's it's. it's it's one of the first of many other firsts that we have done here in Markham, which we're trying. We've established it as some sort of a, a hydrogen hub in the city of Markham, and believe me, the 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 mayor of Markham and his whole team have been very supportive of of Enbridge on this. So what we've done is we've teamed up with um, a company called 2G out of Germany, and um, with CEM Engineering, who is a fantastic company that does. Um, uh, engineering design work, and what we're looking to do is installed what will install what is going to be a North America first, and this is a combined heat and power engine that can run on 100% hydrogen, it can run on 100% natural gas, or you can run it on a combination of both, and what I'm talking about there is resiliency, you know? If, let's say, the there's the natural gas grid is out, you can switch to 100% hydrogen or vice versa, or you can run it on both. So and what it enables us to do is to reduce our load on the electrical grid. Um, we will not be completely disconnected from it, but we will leverage it at the best time that that we can. We see this as... um to build on our success that we have at the power-to-gas facility and we see it as a nice clean way of generating power and thermal energy um, in that space and it's because it's one of the first we see this as an enab- as an enabler that's going to help others are going to look at it and say okay what are these guys doing now can we can you duplicate this for us whether it's smaller or larger etc but we're gonna be taking a strong look at this. We know what we have on paper that in terms of abatement that it can do. So all of that is gonna we're gonna be taken care of. And part of our ESG goal is to reduce our scope three emissions. This mm-hmm. will also help us to reduce our scope three emissions.
1: And so if we fast forward it, Sam, a little bit and we you know this is the first and and whether it's industrial sites or you know others that are interested in doing something similar like how do you envision that happening is it is it going to be on-site hydrogen that's going to obviously fuel that and presumably that's going to be trucked to the site like what why do you guys envision and and is Enbridge going to be part of that in some way shape or form do you think?
2: Absolutely so we're as I was mentioned in in our previous discussion that we see many different paths that are needed to get you to this one goal of one and a half degree and and for our ESG. So definitely Enbridge will be involved. We see ourselves, we're one one of North America's largest um, infrastructure companies. So what we see ourselves doing is um, building these, owning, operating or working with the, the client to make sure that these things are deployed and that with the one goal of, Low in your carbon em- emission, maintaining um, um, cost competitiveness for um, in the energy space, and having that reliability that we are known for built into the system. So you know when you look at, we've got major snowstorms and ice storms in the past, the gas grid was always running, and we see this as an just an evolution in how we do our business. Mm
0: is is there a yeah i'm just trying to parse that apart so is there a model where like one of the 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 benefits that hydrogen can provide is like obviously on-site generation um do, do you see a model where it's like instead of standby diesels we have you know, standby hydrogen units that are providing that resiliency and doing it with, you know, zero carbon emissions? Or do you see this more as a continuous duty application? Or maybe the answer is we don't know yet. we got to continue to kind of look at it from different angles.
2: I think the potential is there for both. Okay. Um, you know, you because it's such a flexible um, energy carrier, you can use it for so many things. I mean, it's in your margarine, it's in this. You use it for electronic manufacturing. You can do a lot with it. So power generation, power backup systems. If you look at the city of Toronto, I think it was yesterday or the day before they announced that in, I think it's in the film industry, they want to get rid of diesel. So the cities are allowing these chaos for you to plug in into the electrical grid. Here's the concern I have with that. Once you start plugging all these things into the electrical grid, can the grid handle it? The answer is probably no. Okay, if it's a no, how do we increase the capacity of the grid? And then the next question is, who is going to pay for that? So this is why you need to have all the different elements coming together and give the consumer the best choice that's the most reliable, the most efficient, at the best cost for them. And I think this is where we come in. We, we see the wires and the pipes combining.
0: Yeah, and I, I recall a very early um, energy radio podcast that we did with a colleague of yours, uh, the uh, the esteemed Mr. Akil Zaidi, and, mm-hmm. and he was clinical about, you know, 25,000 megawatts on the electrical side and 75,000 megawatts on the gas side. And, and how are we ever going to take all of that gas load and convert it to wires? It's just even if you can do it from a distribution level, you're going to be making the power with with, uh, with a big carbon intensity again. So um, why not use the infrastructure we have uh, bo- on both sides, electrons and molecules, and figure out, you know, the places where it's best to serve that with existing pipes and where it's best to serve it with existing wires uh, and clean up both sides of the equation, right? And and this is clearly a beautiful way uh, to do that. So, um,
2: what- uh, you know, I think it's finding that that optimal solution that benefits the customer. I think we owe it to the customer to do that.
0: Now, you know, if I put my, you know, hat the hat on from a, an energy user, you know that the question invariably comes up well yeah that's that's good and i i fully support that but i also have a budget to run and i have you know an operation to keep going but with with a certain amount of money and at certain rates i mean what do we see you know in our crystal ball in terms of how we you know where are the the opportunities to get hydrogen to a point where it makes sense do we need to uh, broaden the envelope in terms of how we do the accounting of carbon and things like. Like, how far are we away from an economical hydrogen story, more than just a technically feasible but also financially feasible story?
2: I think we're we're not very far. Uh, some of the the um, analysis of economic analysis I'm seeing coming out of Europe is that by 2027 Germany should be on par. Um, with um, what they term uh, gray hydrogen, which is the, just your normal hydrogen, which mm. produce, it's produced, um, which is fairly cheap these days. Um, and it's, it, but the, the, the issue with gray hydrogen is you, you're not capturing the carbon. Mm. Now, when you look at hydrogen, because it's demand-driven, it's going to take you – you have to build that scale. And the more you build a scale – And the price of electrolyzer is dropping, it's dropping precipitously. And you also have the cost of renewable energy, wind and solar, going down uh, at a rapid pace. One of the things with, uh, like, for instance, wind is that you can now build bigger um, wind turbines because... You can store more energy with hydrogen. The battery systems are getting um, uh, bigger that you can and, and more efficient at storage. Um, but what hydrogen does is it enables you to store it for a very long time. Um, lots of energy, a tremendous amount over a very, very long period. So I, and the US. is just starting to ramp up. So the big major producer um, um, economies, the US, India, China, you have Australia, who is was one of the front runners and still is, and Canada. They're just starting to ramp, and that's gonna you're gonna see the prices drop. And I don't think you're gonna have to wait twenty years like we had to do with wind and solar.
1: And and this big alliance that was mentioned in the news more recently between Germany and Canada, Sam and Cliff, like is this something that will impact uh, Enbridge? Like, what are what are your views on that? Considering you're in the hydrogen space.
2: Um, I can answer that, or I, I've been speaking quite a bit there, so I want to get Cliff in. Cliff, do you want to jump on that, or do you want me to keep no, going? No, I
3: mean, I mean, when, as for for Enbridge's role in, in that, I don't have anything to say on on, on that aspect, but but any time I hear of large scale hydrogen production happening here in Canada, it definitely excites me and uh, and gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, but I uh, I'd love to hear what potential. Um, you know, that means for us here at Enbridge, if any.
2: Yeah, I would also add that it's early days. It's an announcement. Yeah. And so we have to wait and see. But um, it's very, very early days. The I don't even think the ink has dried yet. Um, they probably use some sort of oil pen or something or some <laughs> kind of paint, some something that takes a long time to dry. So um, let's wait for the ink to dry and the dust to settle. But I, I, you know, we're one of North America's largest energy movers. If not, we are the biggest. And um, let's wait and see. We don't know yet.
3: Yeah, you know, and, and it was, you know, like we were talking about before, when we're, 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 we're starting to see, you know, merchant gas companies replace Older plants with new ele- electrolysis systems for for hydrogen generation. Something that um, you know this is just happening. So it's it's proving that with scale, you know, the price of green hydrogen can still be profitable and still and still make sense at, at a large enough scale. But implementing that out to a point where there's a a large source of hydrogen out there for end users and everyone else. We're still a ways away from from that point, but I think uh, like Sam was saying, we're not that far. I think uh, it's it's already been proven that with scale, um, we can utilize green hydrogen and still it still be economical and not just a, a, a huge cost to everyone. Uh, it's
2: with, really four four things. scale. Capacity factor, how you know, like how much you're gonna utilize your plant, the cost of your of electricity, and the cost of electrocizers, electro electrocizers, the electrolyzers. So <laughs> those those four elements, where the movement is already going on in them, and they're trending in the right direction, they're all going down. Mm-hmm. So that's what's needed to make this happen.
1: I I love the word movement, Sam, because that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, when I heard about the announcement, I thought, wow, this is really going to expedite things in Canada as far as hydrogen's concerned. At least that was kind of this is what I'm hoping we're gonna see out of it. But you know using that word movement, it's it's gonna really move things along a a, long, a, a, lo- a much faster rate, I think, than what we've we've been seeing. So it's exciting. Uh, I, I think.
0: Somewhere along somewhere along the way, we mentioned, you know the ability for hydrogen to act. Uh, in a storage capacity. Uh, do, I'm curious to find out in your conversations, um, do you see it as a solution to the long-term storage question, which is a question we get a lot? Uh, and if so, are you getting pushback uh, from, you know, folks around that? One of the, One of the pushbacks, you know, I would see is, well, to get that storage back out, you know you're likely going to have a stack of some kind. Um, but where does where does hydrogen fit into the the seasonal storage question that at the kind of macro level we're all trying to solve
2: so for for hydrogen and storage, it's one of the biggest um, piece of the puzzle with with um, energy storage. When you look at when you compare all the different energy systems, Right now, it's really hard to dethrone natural gas, the incumbent, as seasonal, long-term energy storage that can store terawatt-hours of energy. I'm not talking megawatts or even gigawatts. I'm talking terawatt-hours. Massive, massive, massive amounts of, like, 12 12 zeros, you know. Like, this is big stuff. Um, In saying that... You know, if you're storing stuff for a few hours, four hours, five hours or so, that's where a battery comes in. And that's why I mentioned before, we're gonna need all the technology. So nobody's here to bash any technology. You're gonna need those batteries. And that's what the batteries are good for. They're fast responding, you can use them for that. Now, on the storage side, Enbridge operates one of the largest storage hubs in North America. We store about 280 to 90 billion cubic feet of gas annually. Mm-hmm and so we can store we're exploring looking at how can we store hydrogen underground and this is not new this has been done for many many years some of the largest storage hubs are in places like uh, i think texas and the uk have some of the largest ones and there are there's work going on right now at the federal level to look at the potential storage across the entire country so what that will enable you to do, just like we do with natural gas, where we can store it at in, uh, in, in a certain time of the year and then withdraw that, it will be the same concept. But the work has to be done up front. And this is one of the drawbacks that we have with hydrogen, is that unlike the electrical grid that I was already built, and you can just plug your vehicles in as an example, the hydrogen infrastructure has to be built. And this is one of the things that has to happen. So we're building at the same time, and we're using at the same time. It's like building a house, and you're like, okay, the foundation is in, the roof is in. Let's move in and keep building. That's what we're doing at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. Probably not the best analogy, but something like that.
0: When you talk this about might- hyd- when you talk about hydrogen infrastructure, you mean to to make hydrogen, you know, with the assumption that you're going to move it around through the existing infrastructure on the natural gas side
2: well i'm talking about the the infrastructure to store it so you know mm. salt salt caverns are known to be one of your best options to store you can store it in depleted oil wells but then it has its challenges um so this is what i meant by the infrastructure I and see. then to remove it you know you're going to have pipes and stuff like that to remove it but if you're removing the hydrogen from the storage, you're probably going to have uh, withdrawal pipes that can take the hydrogen out of storage. Uh, it's going to be 100% hydrogen. Um, you can blend as well, but if you blend and someone wants um, pure hydrogen, you're going to have to de-associate it when it gets to that customer, Right, dissociate it. So um, it'll most likely be um, 100% pipelines, hydrogen pipelines. And um, that's also, if you look at the Canadian Hydrogen Strategy, which we were involved in contributing to, as well as the Ontario Strategy, um, that's mentioned in there that start with blending, and then we have to look at 100% hydrogen uh, Mm. pipeline systems.
1: Mm. So Sam and Cliff, this might lead us into our next topic um, quite nicely. Like You guys have some fairly aggressive targets. I think it's net zero by 2050 and then you want to reduce the intensity of ghg emissions from your operations by 35% i think it is by 2030 how are you guys feeling or how are you thinking you're going to accomplish this is this like what what technologies or what's the what's the plan ultimately to get to get there
3: Well, it's a, I mean, obviously, it's a. It's a loaded question, and I. And I don't think every. <laughs> every. Every single gap has been fully uh, filled in, but, you know, Embridge has been. You know, even before those goals were set, they were already putting the pieces together that would lead to those goals, by even some of what we've talked about already with with the power to gas plant here on site and the hydrogen blending station here on site, um, in in Markham. Uh, we can start looking at vehicles, uh, you know, obviously vehicles are are large emitters of, of, of greenhouse gases. And and we start looking at lower carbon solutions for our vehicles, whether it's renewable natural gas, whether it's hydrogen, electrified solutions. Those, those are all um, in the works here at Enbridge. And then again, uh, you know, we've got this pilot site here at Markham, but we're also looking at uh, other distribution networks and other stuff that can Um, potentially transition into hydrogen blends and hydrogen only lines and all of those things are are in the works right now to to eventually get to those goals Um, but they are aggressive like you say uh, the it's only you know eight years away from 2030 at this point so there's a uh, there's still a lot of work to be done but Uh thankfully there's been a a lot of uh, work that's already taken place over you know the last over ten years to lead up to that, um, so so hopefully we we get a lot more on board. Obviously, we're we're here talking about uh, the CHP unit, um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of these uh, these projects kicked off in the in the near term.
2: Yeah. So I would also throw in that um, where we 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 take this extremely serious. So and we're laser focused on this. So this transition to get to net zero and we've been doing that for quite a while as cliff mentioned so some of the things we've done is partnering with many different um like-minded um, um companies and institutions uh we've we've been investing in 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 a lot of different technologies to um to just look at them to lower emissions like if you look at our pipelines one of the things we've done is we've uh, you know our our pipelines that um Goes across the continent. We're putting in things like solar PVs to help to um, to power some of our station, our pumping stations, um, and then we're looking at um, um, you know new lines of businesses and programs such as uh, DSM, demand side management, helping homes and businesses use less energy through conservation. It doesn't matter what technology you're going to do. You're gonna have to do conservation. There is no sense mm-hmm. in having whether it's electricity or gas or a combination of both or some other technology. and you're putting in in a building that has no um, energy that's and, and is is not energy efficient. So we are experts at that. And you know since ninety five, we have saved our customers about thirty billion lifetime cubic meters of natural gas. So just looking at my numbers here, that's about 56.2 million tons of GHG. And that's roughly the equivalent of taking 12 million million cars off the road for a year or heating 13.1 million natural gas homes for the year. I mean, that's quite a mouthful. Don't ask me to repeat it. Um, (laughs) And then we're looking at things like advancing the transition to low-carbon gases, which is renewable natural gas and hydrogen. We've had several projects with the City of Toronto, and that's your green bin waste. It doesn't matter what we do, what technology we adopt, we're going to produce waste. That waste, you can put it in a landfill or you can put it in a digester and just let it go to atmosphere, or you can choose to clean it up preventing it from going to the atmosphere and create what we call a circular economy where you just keep reusing it over and over. So that's renewable natural gas in a nutshell. And then... We're also advancing the adoption of innovative clean technologies for transportation, as Cliff mentioned. Like we're involved in the Mississauga Transit uh, bus program to deploy the first ten fuel cell buses. Um, we're looking at um, building heat, and um, how do we look at, um, you know, complementing heat pumps as an example? Heat pumps are a proven technology. Um, and um, we're looking at gas heat pumps, we're looking at um, geothermal, we're looking at all these different things that we have been working on for quite a long time here at Enbridge. Solar PVs, we have some of the largest solar farms, wind farms across the continent, and, and in Europe as well. So, these are some of the things, just to give you an idea of how serious we're taking this to get us to meet those targets um, for, uh, 20, for um, 2050.
1: Oh, you're on mute, Matt, or we can't hear you. I'm not sure what's going on there. There we go.
0: Thank you. I want to take it back to the CHP project for a moment. Um, what is, what's the current status of the project, if you can comment? What's the, kind of the next steps? When do you plan to be up and running? And then is there kind of a, an engage not engagement, but kind of a... And a plan to kind of demonstrate use it as a demonstration and promote it, and kind of how can maybe some of our listeners uh, follow up on how how it's working and and the lessons learned and that kind of stuff?
3: well i when it comes to how far away we are, I think we're 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 quite close. I mean, when it comes to design and all that, we're pretty much wrapping that up, and we're actually getting to the point now of of um, trying to nail down scheduling for when we're going to start to uh, um, start construction on things like the, you know, the hydrogen line that's going to supply this. We're, we're, we, we could be breaking ground as early as uh, next month um, okay. on this project, so we're getting quite close. I, I would say probably by, you know, early early next year, this project should be pretty much wrapped up and and, and commissioned if everything stays on schedule the way that it is now.
0: Excellent. Great to hear it.
3: And, and
0: you know, you'll run it for a while and you'll kind of... The plan is to use it kind of as a, um, a a test case or a case to you know a case study to promote to you know the broader industry as a way to do CHP with uh, with clean fuel. Well,
3: definitely that's one of the the aspects. But I I also believe that the reason why this is being installed is to help contribute to the transition itself. It's mm. it's obviously ideal when when you can use it as a as a real sort of uh, demonstration and a showpiece let's say mm-hmm. to to highlight the technology and show its uh, you know show its use but we we also want to utilize this for what it's actually for and and really make a change and if we can you know come back in a year from now and say look you know this is this is the impact it's made on our overall energy consumption and this is you know this is the, the amount of carbon that we've displaced just at this one building alone that itself is valuable to show how, like I said, as we scale up these units and deploy them elsewhere throughout the organization, it really will compound into an overall larger change eventually. When we keep implementing these smaller, these smaller changes throughout the organization, mm-hmm. it, it really will have a greater impact down the road. So I think it's kind of it's kind of both, which is, which is what the Markham. Um, TOC is is kind of turned into uh, at this point is a uh, is a focal point and sort of a showpiece for for all the different technologies that are helping to uh to transition the energy sort of needs of the organization and 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 decarbonize them
0: so awesome. very cool Le- leading by example uh, for sure exactly cliff and and sam as as we as we start to uh to wind down here We've talked about a lot of topics. We've talked about real practical examples. We've talked about uh, some bigger picture stuff, some policies, some regulations, some business case stuff. Is there anything we've we've missed that you feel like, hey, as part of this discussion, you know, we need to talk about this?
2: Well, I would add, you know, before I get into that, I would just add that, um, you know, the supply chain and the the difficulties it's facing right now affects our project, and I mean we would definitely feel left out if we weren't affected as well. So yes, mm-hmm. that may affect us in somehow, um. But it's it's something that's gonna play a role. I mean, I was just asked this morning about delivery times for some of our um, hygiene assets for hygiene assets in the future, and I. I, I explained that the the lead times are long because everybody has an interest in getting the stuff going, and so the current supply chain stuff affects us as well. But to answer your question, we are um we are very, as Enbridge, we're super committed to our green energy future. And um we are leaders in this field. We took some of the first steps. Uh, to To have the first part gas plant on the continent that's a megawatt scale, blending in a distribution system, we also look took the first steps to um, um. Look at um um, isletin blending at the scale that we're doing with ambitions to go bigger, and we're also pretty excited about our investment in hydrogen. Um, we want to have Markham set up as a hub for Hydrogen and I think with all these little pieces, as Cliff mentioned, nothing beats being able to come out and see something real, tangible, and put your hand on it and say, my goodness, this guy, these guys have actually done something. Mm-hmm. And so this new CHP system will add to that, uh, maybe I can call it a mini hub for now, that we have going in Markham. Um, I think other than, you know, you can contact us through the Enbridge Gas Media uh, email. I think it's enbridgegasmedia at enbridge.com. And I uh, also would send people to our website, uh, enbridgegas.com hydrogen.
0: Awesome. Well, Sam, Cliff, uh, we really appreciate you doing this. We know you're both uh, busy leading the pack in the in the uh, energy transition and, and the, the hydrogen uh, piece of that and many other facets of it. But we thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join the podcast and share with us what you're working on, what you're learning, what you're hoping to do. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you both on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. Oh, it was great. Thank you. Yeah. For having-
2: I would suggest uh, Matt, you go and buy that Rhythm Nation album as well.'re. <laughs>
0: There we go. Uh, Mark, we've got to use, uh, we got to find ourselves some new bumper music uh, for these uh, podcasts.
1: Um,
0: and uh, we've got some good suggestions from Sam. Well, as always, this has been a fun episode. Lisa and Mark, uh, thank you both for the way you uh, contribute to these podcasts. And most of all, thank you to our listeners uh, who um, we hope are getting value from this and getting some new ideas, uh, some education on how we all kind of Uh, navigate this energy transition together, uh, which is is what we're all in the business of doing and we need lots of ideas and lots of collaboration to get there. Uh, Until next time, uh, we hope that everybody is safe uh, and a special thank you again to Sam and Cliff and everybody at Enbridge Gas Inc. for all that they do. Take care.